Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. It's been said that the new coronavirus doesn't discriminate, and sure, we're all susceptible to contracting it. But as local hospitalizations have grown, one thing is clear. People of color have been much harder hit. In fact, the first 12 deaths in St. Louis City were all black people. That's in a city that's roughly half black and half white. And in St. Louis County as well, predominantly black zip codes have been much harder hit. So joining us today to talk about this very important issue is Michal Grinstein-Weiss. She's a professor and associate dean for policy initiatives at the Brown School at Washington University. She's also the director of the Social Policy Institute, and she's the director of the university's Centene Center for Health Transformation. Michal, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And we're also joined today by Dr. Lori Punch. She's a faculty member at Washington University's School of Medicine, and she currently works in the ICU at Christian Hospital Northeast in North St. Louis County. Dr. Punch, welcome. Thanks so much. And I want to start with you. You're working there in the intensive care unit. Uh, what are you seeing right now in this pandemic in terms of the, the patients that you're seeing? So in the Christian Hospital, Northeast Hospital, as well as across the country, we're finding that people who have pre-existing medical problems like diabetes or heart disease are being really hard hit by the coronavirus infection. And that's creating the need for critical care support. What I noticed in particular, specifically in St. Louis and North City, North County, is that the overwhelming majority of those patients requiring that level of support are black. Mm-hmm. And what I was really been have been moved by is the statistics coming out of the city, and I think also we'll find out soon from the county as well that as the folks who are dying from the coronavirus infection are also black. Mm-hmm. Michal, are you surprised by that? Unfortunately, I, I'm not. When I first heard that the coronavirus is coming to St. Louis and to the U.S., I immediately thought about these families in North St. Louis, in Deville, in Jennings, families that we are working with at the Social Policy Institute, and I was worried about them. And as you said at the beginning of the show, while the coronavirus does not discriminate based on color of the skin or how much money a person holds, we were worried that that's where we'll see a disproportionately high impact. And, and clearly, as Dr. Punch just shared, that the statistics clearly show that uh, the virus hit hardest, um, you know, poor communities and communities of color. Mm-hmm. Now, Missouri is one of those states. That... And, and I... Sorry, go ahead. No, I, and I think one of the reasons that it's, it's uh, happening is because... Um, one of the main things that people need to do today to try to prevent catching the virus is social distancing themselves. And, and what we sometimes, that's kind of the main policy uh, across the board, but uh, what we forget is that it is much harder for, uh, for low-income families and communities of color to social distance. Social distancing is really a privilege, mm-hmm. but... Um, when you live in a low-income communities, when you live in a crowded area and a multi-generational home, and you need to use public space like laundromats and public transportation, and maybe you can't afford delivering food like in other places, social distancing is almost impossible. And similarly, 
the type of work low income people and poor communities are at like frontline workers uh, that they serve you know serve people like in the warehouse or grocery stores or nursing home it's almost impossible to social distance and data from the federal government confirmed that and we know that while about over half of people that are moderate and high income can work from home now with the new pandemic only 15% of low income families can work from home hmm. so so, so this is This is really kind of a double whammy. First, we have some of these pre-existing conditions that, that Dr. Punch was talking about that, that make people even more susceptible to this disease. At the same time, um, this is a community that is, is more likely to have to get out there and work these jobs where you have to deal with people face to face and you can't get out. It sounds like this is almost just a recipe for disaster, Dr. Punch. Well, it's, it's, it's a definitely... The virus is showing us ourselves. Mm. It's showing us the truth of the way in which people have to live in order to survive and do the best for them and their families. And that lived experience is simply not the same mm-hmm. for folks. And because we live in such a highly segregated city, which has scars in it carved by the knife that is structural racism, it's not surprising that there is such a dramatic difference in the incidence of the disease and then the death by the disease when you look at North versus South St. Mm-hmm. Louis. Now, Michal, you wrote a piece about this very issue for the Brookings Institution. They published it on their website. And one of your points was this. When we think about health, we often think about genetics. But in cities like St. Louis, the zip code in which you live is a main predictor for future health outcomes. Something that you pointed out that really struck me, you said that people in Clayton live on average to the age of 85. You move just a few miles down the road to the Ville neighborhood in the city of St. Louis. The average life expectancy drops to 67. And this is obviously long before the coronavirus entered the picture. What are some of the reasons for that? So, so some of the reasons, reason for that is from this long history of discriminatory uh, policies here in, in St. Louis. You know, there's a lot of housing discrimination that you can track for decades, um, you know, like many, many decades ago. Uh, that's still happening today. People from the North St. Louis cannot come and rent houses um, in the county. Um, the, if you look on Section 8, many times landlords in the county would not accept people with Section 8, mm-hmm. uh, which lead to you know them staying in like poor neighborhood. The education system doesn't have the same kind of funding to operate a very well-off education system. Uh, there isn't the health care. There isn't as much access to health care. There is food desert. So you mentioned just a few statistics, but we can track these inequalities across the life cycle. I can share, you know, like babies born in the real are six times more likely to have a low birth rate and twice more likely to die before the first ba- uh, birthday compared to babies in Clayton, you know, looking on teens. And that's, again, that's kind of one of the problems. When you look on education, nearly all the students in Clayton will graduate from high school and go to college. But you, when you go to neighborhood in North St. Louis, uh, such as the Ville and Jennings, 
uh, only 60% of the kids will graduate from high school and only 35% will go to college. That's reflecting the education system that lacks the funding because it's a poor area. It's, it's all kind of like, you know, vicious cycle. Then in adulthood, people living in the Ville are much more likely, like Dr. Punches, to say to be diagnosed with asthma, obesity, and diabetics, which are all our major risk factors, um, risk factors in this uh, pandemic. So it's, it's, it's this double whammy. It's, you, you live in a poor neighborhood and, and there's a lot of discriminatory uh, policies that go way back and it's hard to break this vicious cycle. But then staying in poor neighborhood, you know, you your education outcomes will be lower, your, unemployment, your employment opportunities are more limited, you, there is more crime. It's just we need to break this cycle of structural inequalities in St. Louis. We're talking and, to And now the pandemic help us just see how bad it is. We're talking to Michal Grinstein-Weiss. She's a professor and associate dean for policy initiatives at the Brown School at Washington University. We're also talking to Dr. Lori Punch, a faculty member at Washington University School of Medicine who works in the ICU at Christian Hospital Northeast in North St. Louis County. Dr. Punch, many reports have noted, noted that obesity and asthma and old age seem to be three of the things that are really associated with having a bad outcome for somebody who contracts COVID-19. Do we know why? why um, something like obesity seems to be such a factor in this? Well, as far as the other disease processes you mentioned, because COVID starts as a lung infection but creates a whole body illness, it's not surprising that people who had compromised are not necessarily 100% function of those organs before have a harder time dealing with the impact of COVID. The specific impact of obesity is difficult to separate out from obesity being uh, highly prevalent in the same communities uh, that we're talking about and mm-hmm. also being associated with things like diabetes. So it's, it, it's as an independent all-by-itself risk factor, I don't think that's the issue. I think it's more a marker of people's, for instance, access to the opportunity to move, exercise, and have high-quality, nutritious food easily. We have a lot of food deserts in North St. Louis, and I think that's another contribution uh, to what we're seeing. So uh, that's locally and nationally, uh, globally, different story perhaps in terms of food access, but still a marker for not having the best of health to begin with. So that might be a correlation, not a cause of, of some of these problems. Exactly. Um, exactly. And yet, you know, I'm, I'm seeing all this talk, and I guess we, we should maybe just step away from being online so much because you just see such terrible things on there. But I see people saying, you know, just the judgment that our society brings to things like obesity. I see them now bringing this to this issue. Well, if these people were just more fit, they, they wouldn't be in this in this problem to begin with. Are you worried that people hearing about some of these facts Doctors um, may chalk this up to lifestyle and just lose um, lose perspective on all these things that Michal is explaining. Where this isn't a question of lifestyle; this is a question of, of where you're living and, and what's given to you through that. I do think the COVID uh, pandemic is giving us all an opportunity to truly understand what the determinants of health are. They are not individual choices or issues of character, but they're rather a reflection of where you work, live, learn, and play. 
And I think that we have an opportunity as a society globally to embrace that truth and recognize that if we want to have a healthy, intact, and well society, we need to make sure that people have equitable access to those things to be able to work, learn, live, and play and environments that promote health. That mm-hmm. it's not individual people making choices, but more a phenomenon that kind of comes from all of those forces at once. And the, here's the other thing that really, I think, might drive people to that compassion, because the truth is, COVID living in vulnerable communities puts the entire community at risk. Hmm. In other words, the health of our region is going to be determined by the experience of the most vulnerable members of our community. And if we're not tending to those who forget the fact that physical distancing might be difficult, maybe they don't have a home at all. Mm-hmm. If we don't tend to those needs, then we're actually going to be perpetuating coronavirus in the region, which will put us all at greater risk. So it's not just that we shouldn't have judgment for people because of their individual saving choices. It's that we should care because it affects all of us. We mm-hmm. have a shared destiny when it comes to COVID. So even if we're completely selfish, there are reasons to be empathetic in this moment <laughs> that we're in. That <laughs> feels yeah. a little hopeful right there. It's, um, it's true. It's true. Now, Michal, you know, it seems now like we're facing this perfect storm, and it seems so obvious in retrospect that, yes, all these factors coming together, this is going to be a real problem. Yet, it seems like local health authorities may have been caught off guard a bit by this. They did start a campaign to target some of these majority black neighborhoods, but it only rolled out this last Saturday. That's after we've all been sheltering in place for a month. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on why it took so long for people to take action to target this community that we all know is is so hard hit. Yeah, this is a this is a question we need to ask ourselves. This is this is not acceptable. And and let me share with you some more kind of troubling statistics. And um, you know, we knew that they these communities will be hit the hardest, and yet um, North St. Louis and County received their first testing site two weeks after testing sites were open in more affluent areas such as Chesterfield and Central West End. Mm -hmm. And two weeks is a long time in a pandemic. You know, right now, I feel like we we really need to prioritize testing. This should be a wake-up call. Like, so many people are aware of that, but I feel like this is really shed light to this, like, really unacceptable structural differences in St. Louis, and and we really need to do something about it. So as kind of like an immediate, immediate short-term solution, I feel like we need to prioritize testing and and make sure, you know, everyone have enough adequate testing. And second, we need to protect some of these low-wage essential workers by providing them uh, adequate um, protective equipment, flexible pay time off because, you know, there are some people who cannot afford having a time off and then they can go sick to work. And that's, again, like Dr. Panson, that, 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 that affects all of us. Mm-hmm. We need to provide health insurance to everyone, especially people who risk us at death as frontline workers. And uh, we need to consider, very seriously consider their other pay. But, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's hard to explain why this... Uh, low-income and poor communities not getting the attention they need, and policymakers need to really 
do something about that immediately. Yeah, it seems like we just, as a region, drop the ball on this once again. We all like to say we're doing better since Ferguson. And here is proof that, you know, once again, we're not giving attention to the place that really needed it. You talk about these structural differences that are being highlighted by this pandemic. Do you think this new light on the issue is going to be something that can finally lead to some actual change here? You know, again, I I'm, I really hope so. It, it, it must. If we want to kind of like uh, help our region, this this should be the first priority the day after. You know, this this we need to recognize that these black individuals, more than any other uh, demographic in our city, are disproportionately experienced these negative health and financial outcomes, which again we saw long before the COVID nineteen. Um, uh, uh, but right now, we need to work across sectors to create innovative and long, um, long-lasting partnership to address some of these problems. Um, you know, for example, Missouri is one of a few states that did not expand Medicare, and maybe the coronavirus will give us now a chance to reflect and um, enact some policies just to support uh, the most vulnerable people in the communities. And this is just like a small. A small thing, I feel like, the, the, uh, in the healthcare, but we need to do it across our housing and education and employment. We need to to really work hard to go and address some of these structural, long-time uh, differences in our region. Well, here's hoping this is going to be the wake-up call that we all need. So, Michal Grinstein, Vice of um, Washington University and the Brown School and the Social Policy Institute there, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, also thanks to Dr. Lori Punch, a faculty member at Washington University School of Medicine and also someone who works in the ICU there on the front lines at Christian Hospital Northeast. Dr. Punch, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And I would be remiss without saying Prepare STL is an example of black leadership in this city, regional leadership with institutions working exactly to change this reality. That's preparestl.com. That's an example of people standing up fighting for the region and recognizing way ahead of time that this was going to be a need and that we had the power to make a difference. Well, Dr. Punch, thank you. And and that's a great website for people to check out. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWNU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.